Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 92, live with you, with the MAP team, minus one, Dr. Scott Wright, not going to be here. You will be missed, but we have amazing, amazing uh, experts to to fill his spot. Verinia Granum, Dean Verinia Granum, uh, former, <laughs> former assistant dean of pre-health advising and STEM advising at Hofstra University. Nice at your there. service. <laughs> uh, Hello. Thank you. Thank you for being here and sharing your expertise every single week. Absolutely. Uh, as well as... Day. Yes, your your favorite thing. It I, is I'm my glad. favorite thing. Favorite thing. Favorite thing. More than chocolate? Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. I love, oh, I love <laughs> chocolate. Come on. <laughs> Rachel Grubbs, MAPT co-founder. How are you doing today? I'm excellent. Thank you excellent. for asking. Bueno, bueno. Lots and lots and lots of years of experience in the pre-health and MCAT space. She's old, folks. <laughs> AKA, AKA old one. <laughs> old wise one. The Yoda. The Yoda of MCAT prep, I was just saying. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, and myself, Dr. Ryan Gray, another old one out there. Um, here to answer your questions. So if you're watching on Instagram, uh, come ask at mapped.tv. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube right now, then uh, start asking your questions and we will answer them. That's what we're here for. Absolutely. So let's rock and roll. How many LORs are recommended? And specifically, are three science professors too many? So I, I love this question because it's a very easy answer, right, Verinia? It is. What's, what's the answer? So for your letters of recommendation, generally speaking, um, you want two science and one non-science faculty member. Um, some schools will indicate if there's additional requirements. Uh, so you want to check the school that you're planning to apply to as well. But generally, yes, two science professors and one uh, non-science. Yeah, that's general rule of thumb. <laughs> but the easiest answer is every school is going to have their own requirements and go check the schools uh, that you're applying to, right? Yes. <laughs> that's that the is the answer. easiest. You're right. Yeah, yeah. So the, the ultimate question uh, is, okay, some schools will have a minimum, right? They'll mm -hmm. say two science, one non-science, potentially. Some may want a physician letter. Mm -hmm. What happens when a school says we have a maximum number of letters, should should the student go, well, shoot, more is always better. No, definitely don't. <laughs> Do not. Um, if there is a max, make sure that you're um, sticking to that. Yeah. And remember, quantity over quality, right? You want strong recommendation letters, 10 letters of, you know, from every random person you met while in school or outside of school. It's not as valuable as three or whatever the max is for that school that are going to speak to your um, qualities and your abilities um, as a future physician. So. 
Yep. Yeah, we used to say something in the pre-college world, which is if you exceed their maximum number, you lose control over which ones they choose to read. Yep. Very good point. Right. So people think true. more is better. And I'm like, you you don't know that. Yeah. Um, and again, I always want to be really respectful, right? Because I mean, like you guys are you guys, you you folks, you pre-meds are trying so hard to achieve your dreams mm. here. Admissions committees are real human beings. Um and they get tired hmm. and they want to do right by your applications, but they set character limits and, and letter limits for a reason because it's the amount of bandwidth they have to get to know you. So what you don't want to do is be the person that fatigues them out of being interested in the application, mm. you know, yeah. hit the marks, give them what they ask for. Thousand percent. All right. Oops. Here we go. Shavam asks, do you know if most adcoms rank apps based on stats to decide which apps to look at first, or do they look at apps in the order they receive them? I was just curious as to how the process works. So one of my favorite answers here on Ask the Dean and everywhere, anytime, is every school is different. All right, we can't make general assumptions of, oh, this is the process because every school is made up of people that make up the admissions committee that decide what they want to do based on their school, their committee, what process has worked for them in the past, what process hasn't worked for them. So the answer to the question or my question to your question is, what does it matter? At the end of the day, what does it matter how they process it? Your goal is to apply with the best stats possible, write the best essays possible, apply early enough, and rock and roll. That's all you got. Mm -hmm. Agreed. That's it. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you attempt to guess the way they're thinking and game it, you will drive yourself crazy and not succeed. Um, and I don't mean you won't get in. I'm not saying just attempting to guess the future is harmful. I'm just saying <laughs> it's not gonna it's not gonna get you anywhere because. It's a holistic review behind closed doors. You're mm -hmm. never going to really know how they did it. Yep. Yeah. Spend yeah. all that energy on something better, like, you know, one more edit for your personal mm. statement. <laughs> Our friend McKenna, when does the AAMC usually release application dates? We are fighting for our lives out here. I thought I saw new dates. Did I? Did I not? Currently, we only have from AMCAS the dates they used last year, which we can project against. Now, Texas has officially listed um, their opening date. Um, what And this, this is where it gets a little complex because each of the three services are different. So let's start with this. The short answer is, when does the WMC usually release application dates? Whenever the heck they want. And often in April, once the official... Um, entry year 22 cycle closes, then they'll, when it's like officially closed, then they'll start to announce dates for entry year 2023. What you can roughly expect is that in early May, that first Monday or Tuesday of May, somewhere in there, all three application services will open for you to start working. Yep. Um, and then what's been happening in past years is that Texas now asks you to wait about two weeks before you start submitting. So there's that period where you're working on the app. And AMCAS historically has asked you or gives you about four weeks before you can start submitting. Um, again, we don't have the dates from Macomas, but often the day they open is open and submit same day. Mm -hmm. um, 
all that said, go back to what I was just saying before about you could drive yourself crazy with all the details. And McKenna and I have talked about this offline. Like she and I both want these dates really bad. <laughs> but the truth is it doesn't change things much because what you should be aiming for is by late May, early June, mm -hmm. have your primaries in. That's yep. the goal. That is it. That is the goal. Carson asks, I heard that we could count our scribing as some shadowing too, but how does that work exactly? So this has been coming up a lot. I, I don't know if it's on Reddit or Student Doctor Network where it's like, I can count shadowing as, or I can count scribing as shadowing. Well, you can't because scribing is scribing and shadowing is shadowing. Um, I have mentioned in the past that there are some positions like clinical research coordinators, the most common one, where part of your job is literally sitting and waiting for the doctor, watching the doctor do their thing. So that is that is shadowing. Right. But as a scribe, you're listening, you're working, <laughs> you're typing away and listening and charting everything. So I wouldn't extract out hours from scribing to mark as shadowing. Yeah. What we say sometimes is that medical schools, their process may go, wow, you're pretty light on shadowing, but you've been a scribe. And that's basically like shadowing on steroids. So we're less concerned about your shadowing. But again, going back to, I think, Shavam's uh, question about what's the process at the school, you don't know. So it's, it's a hard game to play. What do you, what do you think, Vernia? I agree with you. And I, I would hope that someone who's scribing is actually, you know, paying attention to what they need <laughs> to be doing <laughs> and not just observing and shadowing um, yeah. the doctor. But it, it is not shadowing. Okay. Gosia. I'm graduating from community college this year. Will medical schools look at me differently because of it? Yeah. Because you went to community college and then you went to undergrad. It'll be different than four years of undergrad. Now, the question you're asking is, will they look at me negatively because right. of it? No. Keep your grades up. That is it. Yep. They might look at you differently if your grades dip a little bit, but yeah. keep them up. Mm -hmm. Jacob asks, should I study for the MCAT while taking four upper-level science courses and working part-time? Would this be too much to handle? <sighs> Rachel, what do you think? Well, I guess my first question is, Jacob, uh, do you sleep? <laughs> I mean, most humans sleep somewhere in the neighborhood of six to nine hours a day. If you're like me, sometimes it's 14. Um <laughs> Sometimes it's four. Um, seriously, we can't answer that question for you because we don't know what you can handle, but that sounds like a lot. Like um, the MCAT, I'm not saying this is just because there's a lot about the admissions process that rewards people who have more money and free time. But the MCAT rewards people who can make it their full-time job. So doing MCAT in school, possible. Doing MCAT in work, possible. Doing MCAT and school and work, yeah, it's still possible, but now I'm really worried about your timeline. Like, hopefully you're asking this question, planning ahead for next year or the future year, because a lot of people do MCAT prep for about 100 days, maybe 120 days, and just really sprint it through. And with everything on your plate, I'm guessing that's going to be a six, eight month process to be able to keep your grades up and still occasionally take rests. Um, 
so that, you know, but only, you know, what you can handle. Well, and I think that the, the better question is, you know, it's not, is it possible? Is it, but is it optimal, right? To quote Dr. Wright, is this really yeah. the optimal thing for you to do right now, given everything that um, Rachel just described? So, yeah. Do some reflection. Yeah. You answer the question. Yep. Janessi asks, should we include shadowing of individuals other than physicians? I. PA, nurses, paramedic, NP. Bernie, what do you think? I mean, if you're applying to PA school, nursing school, or you know, <laughs> another program, sure. Let's assume they're applying to med school. Is is there any but, benefit of adding these other ones on there? I don't see, you know, I it's a different job, right? You're you're going to medical school to become a physician. So the roles are a little bit different. Um, it's beneficial to have seen it and and you know, maybe you can reflect on it and it can add to your um, experiences in your description, but ultimately what is going to be more valuable would be um, shadowing physicians. Yeah. Do you, do you think it would help at all to, to maybe show the admissions committee, Hey, like I've been exploring and I shadowed a PA for 10 hours, but mm -hmm. I've shadowed physicians for 200. Uh, I mean, is it, is it, sorry, you said, is it beneficial to do that? Yeah. It won't do hurt. Yeah. I don't see it as hurting. Yeah. And so I, I might disagree with you a little bit here, Brittany, and I think that's okay, right? Because adcoms often disagree amongst themselves, right? That's why sometimes they have to take votes. Um, I don't think people need to feel obligated to go out and shadow a whole bunch of adjacent careers. But Genesee's question is, should I include it? If part of Genesee's journey to physician was, hey, I shadowed PA, I shadowed nurses, I sh shadowed paramedics, I shadowed physicians, and from all that shadowing, I realized that physician is where my heart is, mm. then I would think, yeah, include it. Cause I, I want to hear about your story. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, so it's some of it is just, these questions are short and there's a lot of interpretation on the context, but Genesee, if you've already done it, and again, you know, it's okay for us to disagree amongst yeah. ourselves because adcoms do too. But I would say if you've already done it, then yeah, list it. I mean, don't give it a lot of space. You've only got 15 activities on AMCAS. That's, yeah, that's what I was going to bring up next, right? <laughs> I mean, shadowing should probably all just be in one, one section anyway. So, mm -hmm. okay. uh, uh... Barkley asks, I want to take three classes per semester, and the reason is because I want to enjoy my life outside the medicine, too. How do medical schools view three classes per semester? Barkley, you're in for a world of hurt <laughs> if you I, like. I got no problem enjoying life outside of uh, uh, medicine. I, I, that's ideal, right? We talk all the time that you should go explore your passions, and you need to prove to medical schools that you can handle the academic rigors of undergrad. So, never potentially being a full time student may be an issue. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if he's referring to like a postback program where it might be a little bit different. Um, mm -hmm. But undergrad, you're not even full time at three classes, so yeah, not a good idea. Rachel, incoming medical student, how are you doing? Uh, best considerations and or questions to ask when you're visiting medical schools post acceptance. I'm visiting mine today. Yay. Um, yeah. What do you think, Verania? Uh, 
man, I mean, you're, you're, you have now the opportunity to, you know, to be around other students and really get to know um, just what the day-to-day -day is like, right? Mm -hmm. You know, what, <laughs> where's the best place to go for, you know, just a break, or if you want to grab a coffee, or if you want to grab something to eat, like the insider information for that. Um, you don't have to worry about making a good impression. Obviously you want to, you're not there. That's not the goal, right? You don't have to worry about <laughs> getting these people to admit you. You're already there. Now it's just about a matter of um, getting to really know the culture there. Yeah. Okay. Um, what I might add to that, and I mean, again, kind of, Rachel, you know what's in your mind, right? So mm -hmm. I'd say the best questions to ask are the ones that are keeping you up at night. But often when I'm meeting someone who's in a position to mentor me, but they're not obligated to mentor me, right? So like, I don't know if I'm gonna get lots of time with them in the future. A question I like to ask is, what do you wish you had known, right? So just whatever it is that, if they think back to their summer before med school, what do they wish they'd done? You know, and it mm -hmm. might be, I should have bought a new MacBook, or it <laughs> might've been, I thought I needed to save on rent and get a roommate. And then I realized that the peace of mind of living alone was worth the extra dollars. Right. And like, just, you know, just get their yeah. subjective opinions on that thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But I feel like that's a nice way to get, get people talking because people always like to tell you about why they're right. Yeah. Jose, I'm a pre-med student from Puerto Rico, and I wanted to know if entering patients' names at the clinic in the computer system and telling them where to go is clinical experience. Bah, 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 clinical experience. We were overdue. We were overdue for one. Is to, it clinical? To, yeah. <laughs> we should ask. Ask our viewers and our listeners. Yeah. What do you is guys think? Is it clinical? Yeah. What do you think? Is it clinical? Here's Jose's question again. Type in the chat. He says, <laughs> I'm entering patients' names at the clinic and the computer system and telling them where to go. What do you no, guys think? Says Amy. No, says Carson. Uh, this question is always here, says Hot Dog <laughs> <laughs> on Instagram. Uh, hot Dog says no. Okay. And, and why not? We're getting a lot of no's. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Why not? Uh, isitclinical.com now has a landing page. You can go sign up once once we get that done and want to want to go play the game over at isitclinical.com. <sighs> All right. Let's help out Jose a little bit, I guess. Yeah, let's do it. It's not. It's not, Jose. Uh, and the reason being is that the goal of um, clinical experiences is to get you to really understand what it is to take care of patients, to take care of people. Um, if you're entering names in the computer system and directing them, that's not really being directly involved in their care. Mm -hmm. So while it's valuable and it's a, it, you know, it's it's useful and it's something you you know you're helping out by doing so and it's necessary, um, you're not getting a chance to really see what's you know what it's like to take care of a patient. So no, it is not considered clinical. Still great experience. Yep. And, um, you know, maybe that job will parlay into a job that gets direct patient care. Mm -hmm. so, so keep doing it. I mean, you're doing important work. Someone has to do that work. Um, but, yeah, see if you can parlay that job into something where you get to actually interact with the patients in a way directly related to their health care. 
And I'm encouraged by all the um, responses to that about why it's not clinical. Yes. No, you're getting it. They're getting yeah. it. <laughs> We're happy. We're trying to teach you to catch it is admin. your own fish. <laughs> it is admin. It's admin. All right. Let me catch your own that. fish. <laughs> I need a vegetarian equivalent of that metaphor. <laughs> Plant your own vegetables. I'm going to teach you Plant how to your garden. own seed. Grow your own garden. There you go. Grow your own garden. Okay. Ahmad asks, what is the best date to retake the MCAT for applying this coming cycle, knowing that the first time you took it without studying and got a 485? And what would be a good way to maximize the score? So no studying 485. That's about expected mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, if you take the test without, uh, without prepping for it. The, the test will smack you <laughs> left and right and all up, all upside your face. Uh, Rachel, timing, maximizing score. What do you think? Um, this time of year, it's so awkward when people say this coming cycle. I am hoping, Ahmad, that you're talking about entry year 2024. Um, probably not. I'm, but hmm. yeah, you're, you're probably talking about entry year 2023. So if you're saying here in March 2022 that you're still hoping to apply to med school this spring or summer, and you want to know when the best date is to retake the MCAT, the answer is as early as possible, but not until you're ready. And I can't give you a date. Um, you know, for those of you that are applying an entry, entry year 2024, I can be a little more specific, although the answer is still as early as possible, but not until you're ready. But our dream timeline is that you take the MCAT in January or March, and one benefit, I mean, it sounds like at least you did this part right, is you did leave yourself cushioned to retake. Um, but um, the reason you take it in January or March of the year you apply, or maybe even the summer before if you've completed all your prereqs, um, is so that if something goes wrong, you have cushion. And if it goes, goes well, then it's just one less thing you have to worry about while you're doing the very hard work of applying. Um, Ryan says this a lot, but one of the big issues with taking the MCAT in the spring or um, late spring or early summer is the application is so demanding. And now you're going to be on top of what other obligations you have. You have MCAT and actually writing personal statement, writing activities, getting your application in. So I don't, I don't want to be negative, but, you know, good luck, Godspeed. And just when you're when your average practice tests, when you have four or five full links taken under time conditions that are roughly at your goal score, that's when you're ready. Is the answer. Jarrell asks, non-trad taking my prereqs at my community college, looking to transfer to a four-year university for summer term. Should I be targeting the top school in my area, UT Austin, or would any four-year university suffice and be a plus versus community college? Farinia, does the school matter when making these decisions? No, no, absolutely not. Yeah, you know, I think I think what you're what you need to focus on is, you know, what's going to be the most, um, I guess, uh, convenient for you, I guess, just location wise, cost resources and things like that. It's not the top school, really. That's not what's um, what should be the motivating factor here. It's what is going to allow you to have access to it so that you are the most successful. That is it. 
Amy asks, what are your thoughts on going to an SMP with linkage as a backup in case the regular app cycle doesn't work out? I love this question because the reflex, it seems to be in the pre-med space and in the advisor space and in the med school space, because when they reject you, it often comes with a, hey, you should check out our master's program, uh, is is go and do an SMP. I didn't get into medical school. I should go do an SMP. But an SMP in my mind is there to prove academic ability. And if you've already proven that with a solid GPA or a solid upward trend, then an SMP is a waste of money. Mm -hmm. And you're just buying a potential shortcut to maybe get a, f a free interview because of a linkage. Most linkage programs are guaranteed interview, not guaranteed admission. And if you're not getting in because you lack clinical experience, then why spend $50,000 when you can go make a little bit of money scribing or being an EMT or something else? Or if you're, the reason you're not getting in is because of a poor MCAT score, then go spend $5,000 on a tutor and not $50,000 on your SMP tuition. You need to have targeted responses to your application and the weaknesses in your application as to why you're not getting in. And if you're just like, didn't get in SMP or maybe won't get in, let me just apply for an SMP as well without actually reflecting and going, well, where are my weaknesses? Then I, I don't think that's a good idea. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. All right. Charlotte asks, how much of a downward trend is a concern? And does it matter if it occurs after transferring to a university? If it's just one bad semester, still above a three, oh, is this a red flag? So potentially, Verinia, it sounds like maybe starting a community college, transferring mm -hmm. to a four-year university, and I have a little bit of a hiccup, but I recover. What do you think? First, this is a great question to show mapped, but <laughs> um, you can, with one semester of a dip and you're still above a 3.0, it's not a red flag. What would be more concerning is now you've had... Um, you know, two semesters and now you're, you're continuously going down and you're below a 3.0. Um, it's, that's where, that's sort of a bigger concern. Um, but you know, could it potentially, could they potentially say, okay, what happened here? You moved to a four-year school, things got a little bit harder. You had a bit, a little bit of a dip. Yeah, sure. But it's not, it's not generally, it's not, I don't see that as a red flag, but make sure moving forward that you're bringing that back up and keeping it up. All right. Zach asks, I want experience, see how I like the research lab, but don't think research is my life. Entertaining the idea of med school in a few years, will this experience be of interest to potential schools? All right. The wonderful, will this look good on my application question? Rachel, what do we think about those types of questions? Uh, we don't ever want you to do something just for the application. We always want you to do it because it interests you. Um, and, you know, Zach does say, I want to see how I like the research lab. So yep. I, I give him credit for that. 
Um, but yeah, uh, don't don't do it because you think it will be interesting to schools. Do it because you think it will be interesting to you. Yep. Exacto mundo. Natalia asks, I want my psychology professor to write me an LOR, but he doesn't have a PhD. And my advisor says the professor needs to have a PhD to write an LOR. Is that true? Is that true? I don't know. Is it true? Mm. <laughs> it is definitely not true. I do believe, based on what the profile says, that this person's name might be Natalie. There's an Natalie. accent over the E. Natalie, maybe? I don't know if I'm closer. Um, yeah, it, it, the letters after the name don't have to be the thing. Uh, I think what your advisor is saying that has a grain of truth is when in doubt, go with professors, not TAs, mm -hmm. right? If, there's, if you're at work and you've got a physician who supervises you and, um, you know, um, and someone else who supervises you, right? Like always see if you can get kind of the the biggest, highest letters in your chain, but not all letters have to be from MDs and PhDs. No. That is correct. Yeah. Professor. Ali asks, is taking care of grandparents, such as taking their blood pressure, giving them their medication, et cetera, count as clinical experience? So being a caretaker, Verinia, whether it's family member or someone else paid or volunteer caretaker, does it equal clinical experience? It can. Yes. Yes, it can. Yeah. Um, obviously, you want to have additional experience to show that it's one thing to take care of a family member. Uh, it's a whole other thing to take care of someone who's not related to you. Um, so you might want to have, an, you know, seek an opportunity to be able to show that, that you, you know, you've done that, you've had that experience. Um, but on its own, yes, absolutely. Caretaking is clinical experience. Heck yeah. Rashna asks, I got a C minus in Orga two, and my advisor said I shouldn't retake. It wasn't until after graduation that I realized that maybe that wasn't the best advice. No. Is it okay to retake it online? So, why is this not the best advice, Verinia? Well, unfortunately, a C minus in a prereq for medical school is just not um, passing. So yeah, for most uh, med schools. For most med schools, yeah. yeah. So you do have to retake that. Um, not sure why the advisor would say that, but maybe they just didn't know. They didn't know. Yeah. If the advisor used MAPT to help huh? uh, organize their students, then they, they would have flagged <laughs> for them. And that would have been awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, but Roshana, definitely need to retake it. Uh, taking it online potentially is okay. Uh, I would look at the MSAR, look at the schools that you're uh, planning on applying to and see if they will accept an online or go to. Yep. Shreyas, uh, Shreyas, uh, good afternoon. Could working in a plasma donation clinic as an EMT, managing reactions, conducting a physical exam, vitals, etc., work as clinical experience? 
Shrius, I'm going to need you to use your own critical thinking here and and let us know. We're going to move on to the next question. You put in the comments what you think. Amy, if I was on academic probation for one term, but it is not on my transcript, do I have to report it to AMCAS? (laughs) So let's talk about ethics. Um, If a tree falls in the woods and nobody is around to hear it, does it still make noise? Oh, man. Audio went out on Instagram. All right. I got got a phone call, so it booted my sound. I'm going to go back live again. That's annoying. Yeah. I have it on uh, Do Not Disturb, too. Hmm. Oh, well. Um, What do you guys think? Does it make noise? Yes. (laughs) Of course it makes noise. Of course it does. So, if academic probation happened... Uh, and it's not on the transcript. Was there still academic probation? Yeah. Yeah. It would stand to reason. Yeah. 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 And I worry about questions like this, right? Because the instinct is to, well, if I don't have to report it, I don't want to, right? But but it's it's there. It's it goes to ethics. It goes to the fiber of who you are as a person, right? Um, and what the the qualities and the characteristics that you would want in a physician. Um, so yeah, I was err on the side of put it all out there. Um, yeah, Ed, I've managed a lot of people in my career and one of my, you know, cliches that I share with employees who are new to my team is good employees make mistakes, bad employees try to hide them. Right. So Amy, this for you is an opportunity to reflect on what went wrong, why you went on probation what you learned from it and how you became hopefully a more mature human being as well as a better student. So embrace the opportunity to reflect and grow here. Bella B asks, do you have any advice for getting a scholarship for medical school or finding external scholarships? Vernia, outside of Google, <laughs> scholarships for med school. Yeah. Uh, what do we think? Uh, uh, check in with, obviously, the first the first stop or the first step would be to check in with the financial services office. <laughs> oh, even, even before that. At the medical school. Oh. Even before that. You got to get in first. Right? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm a, I, I guess I assume she was in or Bella. Was in. Let's focus on getting in first. Well, let's, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then what? Sorry? And then what? Oh, and then, um, yeah, I mean, Google, your financial, um, the, uh, sorry. Google is the only thing I can think of at the moment. Yeah. Rachel, thoughts? Yeah. So a couple things. Well, one of them is scholarships for med school are not as common as scholarships for college. So I don't, I don't know if you're approaching it from that, but one of the things we talk about with college scholarships is the ones that people hear about are the ones where people are recruited, right? Like your, your friend who was on a state team for basketball, all four years varsity. Um, Yeah. They actually probably got approached by schools with scholarships. And then you had lots of friends who, Maybe it wasn't sports or they weren't a published author, but they managed to get a thousand kicked off here or there. 
I'm not saying it's not possible with med, but it's less common. So the main, the main thing is getting in and then understanding that loans are going to be a big part of it. And then yes, also, once you're in the lucky position of having acceptances and offers, starting to look at scholarships. If it's something you're worried about now, like long before you apply, what you might want to do is as part of your med research, med school research, look and see what kind of scholarships they offer and for what reasons and see if you match those reasons. Because, you know, sometimes it's mission driven, sometimes it's um, demographic driven. It can be it can be a lot of things. Um, there is also a small chance of scholarships outside of the med school. So um, like, for example, I think Me Mentor, which is a mentoring group that's prim um, primarily focused on helping Latinx future physicians. Um, I think they've got some scholarships available. Those things aren't going to change. You're, it's not going to suddenly erase $150,000, $200,000 of debt. It might make some small dents for you, and every, every dollar helps. Um, but, but yeah, I think there's uh, short of you kind of doing, again, it's just Googling, looking at mentoring groups, looking at med schools, looking at um, groups that are affiliated with physicians by demographic. Um, and, you know, so, you know, maybe it's that you're from central Appalachia, right? Like, are you, are you part of a group that you know is underserved or underrepresented in medicine? Sometimes that helps. Um, or if you have a mission that you're interested in that, you know, really needs care. Sometimes you can find scholarships that way, but yeah, mostly it's about getting in and then seeing what the med school is going to offer you. Okay. Now I'm scrolling through all the notes for when people answered questions about clinical. <laughs> find a new one okay all right kellen asks i see the wmc has a statement discouraging pre-meds from doing medical volunteering abroad as to stay within their scope of practice how would the same situation be seen as an rn so i kellen i, I think you answer your question in your question stay within your scope of practice mm -hmm. that's the answer that's the problem. That's what gets students in trouble is going outside of their scope of practice. And for most pre-meds, the scope of practice is nothing, right? You're not certified to do anything here in the States. So why would you go to another country and assist in a surgery or do small minor procedures on patients? doing those things and then talking about those things as a, like a brag, like, Oh, look what I was able to do. Um, shows some poor judgment. So don't do that. And I just yeah. got another phone call coming through. I don't know why my phone calls are coming through. And so Instagram is going to die again. Okay. Oh well. Right. <laughs> so, well, Ryan sorts that out. I will add one other thing. And I think we've, we've already answered your question, but just a, kind of a larger point to this topic there is increasingly an understanding in physicians who have worked abroad that swooping in to help, even though that can be really fun and personally rewarding for that physician, is not actually doing good. So, so projects like Partners in Health um, that the, the Green Brothers are doing in Sierra Leone, where they're not sending American and European physicians to Africa to suddenly, you know, help babies have a higher success rate in birth and help mothers survive childbirth, but instead helping them to build hospitals and birthing facilities and train local doctors and nurses. That has a lot more value in terms of globally making the world a better place. So I would say if you're really interested in working abroad, if that's just something that appeals to you, to answer both the question of staying within your scope of practice and also just being a better global citizen, 
look for projects where instead of you being the one to do the work, you're the one who's helping them learn how to do the work themselves locally with local people. That's, um, I'm definitely pushing some of my values on you right now. You're, you are allowed to disagree with me, but I would encourage you to consider that. Genesee asks, would a public school who seems to veer away from out of state, but I resonate with their mission statement? Hmm. <laughs> would they what? Should I apply there? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure. My biggest thing when it comes to applying to public out of state schools is that you are informed on their acceptance rates for out of state students. As long as you are informed and you understand that most public institutions look at in-state students at a much, much higher rate compared to out-of-state students, as long as you understand that and you're applying with that knowledge, go ahead and apply if you have a strong reason to apply there. The problem is most people don't understand <laughs> residency in public, out-of-state, in-state, whatever. Carson asks, I know you guys promote not checking boxes with activities, but but what if you can answer a secondary, for instance, because you helped underserved communities? You haven't helped. Yeah. Haven't helped. Answer. I think that's but what a if habit. you can answer? I think it's a can't answer, is what Carson can't meant. answer. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to be, I guess I'm in a piss and vinegar mood today, Carson. <laughs> oh, boy. Love it. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> With a lot of love and respect, I ask you, why are you applying to that school? You're looking at the secondary. You know what their mission is. And you're now worried about manufacturing an activity to match their mission. You do not have to help underserved communities because communities that are served continue to need service. It's, it's okay if that's not your calling. It doesn't make you less of a person. Um, it, it, everybody needs doctors. <laughs> so if it happens that you land with, with people who have been served in medicine pretty well for the last couple generations, they're still going to need help. Um, so yeah, I think uh, you need to do some serious reflection here about why you're drawn to that school if, yeah. if you can't answer their questions. Um, that's it. <laughs> that wasn't that bad. Have to apply. <laughs> I love, I love uh, Rachel when she's like, "Yeah, feisty." <laughs> so, it's like, is she is she Ohio Rachel or East Coast Rachel? There's elements <laughs> of both. Which one are you getting today? Ooh. All right, I'm looking for a fresh topic. We're getting a lot of repeat questions here, friends. Let's do a is it clinical question. We haven't had one of those in a while. <laughs> That's a joke, right? <laughs> like in the last two minutes? Yeah. I will say sometimes when I'm posting questions, they ask before we answered. But mm. um, okay, here. This is an interesting one. Uh, Daniel asks, I'm having trouble figuring out what race slash slash ethnicity to put on my application. I was born in Egypt, but I'm 
Coptic Orthodox. So putting white doesn't feel right. And putting Middle Eastern doesn't feel right, I'm assuming. <sighs> Go with your hearts, my friend. Uh, yeah, it's so you can put multiple ethnicities on there, can't you? Um, so, so maybe it's a, a mix of everything. It's, it's one of those weird things where a lot of people don't know the far majority of Middle Eastern uh, people from the mid, the, the Middle East countries um, or region, they're considered white people in terms of like our uh, standards here for admissions and stuff like that. And so they're always like, okay, I guess I'm white. Um, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. There is this weirdness with AMCAS where they kind of act like Western and Central Asia don't exist. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't understand why. So I do feel your pain, Daniel. But what I will say, because we get this question sometimes from, you know, from white students, Americans who are seventh generation Americans, who are like, well, I have 4% of this minority. <laughs> it is not about your DNA. It's about how you identify in the world. And honestly, about sometimes how people identify you, which comes with privileges and unjust injustices sometimes, right? Um, you know, you wouldn't look at me and realize that I have African-American heritage. So I never claim to be black because I just look super duper white. Um, and and the people of color in my family are many generations back anyway. Um, so I, you know, and I can't answer that question for you because I don't know how you move through the world and how people see you. But but I don't think you're going to answer it wrong, right? What, right? Whatever you say, whatever you feel is the right answer. Not from Verenia. Yeah, go with your heart. Yeah. All right. Looking for a fresh question. Richard asks, I'm currently an international student waiting to get a green card sometime in July or August. Should I wait until then to submit the primary application or just submit on May 28th? Wonderful question. <sighs> this is a hard one. Yeah. Should Richard be late to the game in applying? Or should Richard be early but be at a disadvantage because he's an international yeah. student? Or do you just cross your fingers and hope that you'll have your green card? You know it's coming, and you submit early and say you Ooh. you're a permanent resident. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> Which well, option? Or Richard didn't option. offer that third. Ryan offered yeah, it. I offered um, it. Or last option: wait a year until you secure yeah. your green card, and then be good. Yeah. That's I believe if Dr. Wright would, were here, he would say you're better off to have the green card in hand. A thousand percent. Yeah. But then I think that that begs that exact question you're getting at, Richard, which is if we're saying you should wait for the green card, are we saying apply in July, August? Or are we saying wait and apply next year? Only you can decide. But um, not even every, every U.S. med school accepts international students. So, so by waiting for the green card, you're going to open up a lot more doors for yourself. And I'm sorry. I wish the system wasn't so funky like that. It doesn't seem fair. But no. okay. Here's a good question. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, 
I think I asked you this question, Ryan, when we first met. <laughs> yeah. Right, Rachel, where where did we get maps from? Uh, okay. Well, so first of all, we wanted the idea, if you're just talking about the word map, we wanted the idea of helping navigate on a journey. And we wanted something that wasn't specific to med school because we knew we were going to expand across all pre-health and eventually maybe other pre-professional. Um, if Alberto, the question is, how come there's no E? The simple <laughs> answer is we couldn't afford it. It was taken. Um, it, yeah. So we could have we could have spent a lot of time and money trying to buy MAPPED.com. Or we could just say, you know what? We'll leave out a vowel and spend that um, all, all the money and time we save there. We'll pass along to the students and keep MAPPED as cheap as possible. <laughs> cool. Yes. Um, and... The, the biggest thing that a lot of people think is mapped <laughs> is mapd or md app like oh, yeah. mapd uh it is just mapped like roadmap mapped yeah. we mapped yeah. your journey to medical school to pa school to wherever so yeah, yeah. it's the cool thing that uh, websites do these days they just drop all the vowels because it's getting harder and harder to get websites and, yeah. and domain names so I, I keep checking on the the real mapped uh, with an E, and unfortunately, that company is doing well. That <laughs> they're probably not going to go away anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, they just they just raised like four million dollars in funding. So, well, good for them. <laughs> good for them. Yeah. Lena asks, if I have one year college credit courses I took in high school, do I include the grades in quote high school or freshman in the application? So, Lena, you took them in high school. They are high school classes. So, step number one, go to the application service instruction manuals. Read the instruction manuals. Yeah. Everyone applying to medical school needs to read the instruction manuals for each of the application services you are using. In the instruction manual, it will clearly lay out that you took those classes as dual enrollment credits in high school. They, they go under high school credit. Yep. Homework for everybody. Read the application handbooks. You do not need to wait for the entry year 2023 handbook to read it. Go read the 2022 one now. There's not going to be that many changes. I did see AMCAS just listed um, their first workshop for, mm -hmm. um, for applying for entry year 2023. So um, that, that usually fills out. Usually there's so many people who want to attend that some people can't go live and have to do the recording. But so I would go check that out too, but you're still going to have to read the handbook cover to cover. And then you're going to have to keep it bookmarked somewhere and do control F for your specific little issues a bajillion times in the month of May. <laughs> it's a that scientific a... number, bajillion. A bajillion, obviously. <laughs> Troy asks, how difficult is it to get a medical deferment? Can med school students continue with an autoimmune issue? Currently accepted, but afraid to ask because they may deem a chronic condition as not able to be doctor, even though the impact is very unpredictable. So, Troy, uh, we actually have uh, an acquaintance that I know going through this right now. They've been accepted, uh, and they also have... Uh, this condition that's potentially going to require some some lots of work. Uh, and, and they're trying to figure out, what do I do? So you have been accepted to medical school. Let's assume you've been accepted. That acceptance cannot legally be taken away from you 
because of a health issue. You will you will win a big lawsuit if that were the case. And so you need to go ask and say, hey, like I need to defer a year to take care of X, Y, or Z. Um, the school may ask and, and may try to be as uh, um, superficial as possible, potentially, to, to let them know. But you've been accepted, so they, they can't take that away. Yep. They can take it away if you failed all your classes. Uh, they can take it away if all of a sudden you have a felony because you're a murderer. Uh, but they cannot take it away <laughs> due to health reasons. Good luck. All right. Time for one more touchy one. Tristan asks, how do you deal with a negative health advisor, pre-health advisor at your university who's telling you to, uh, telling you that your grades are too low? Hmm. <sighs> Verinia, as someone who has been a pre-health advisor, yeah. this would never be you, would it? No. <laughs> no. No, I would never say it's hard to answer this without obviously knowing where their grades are. Um our stance is maybe it's not now, but maybe, you know, maybe yep. a little later with a little bit of repair. And not not even a stance. I think that's just generally how I approach students. Um, so if I had a student like this in my office, we would definitely talk about what was going on. Um, I would not discourage them. I would just have a honest conversation. What's going on? You know, yeah. you know, is it what kind of yeah. repair do you need to do? But um how do you deal with that advisor? Just see another one. Maybe <laughs> see you another have a one potentially. Advisor. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna play the role of supporting the advisors because there are plenty of amazing pre health advisors out there, and and I'm going to assume that this pre health advisor was doing their job, saying, you know what, Tristan, your grades are too low, and hopefully the follow up comment was. Here are the next steps mm -hmm. that you need to take if this is still what you want to do. And maybe that advisor went there, but the student was like, my grades are too low. I'm a failure. Right. And, and all of a sudden the advisor is bad. So right. we obviously we only have one side of the story. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that, yes, your grades may be too low right now. And here's what you need to do to improve them. That's why we have post-bac programs. That's why we have SMP programs. That's yeah. why students defer graduating so they can take a lot more classes that are going to pile into senior year when put on the transcript to show an upward trend, to show academic ability at some point. So Tristan, your pre-health advisor may not be negative. They may be realistic. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that follow-up conversation was, here's what you need to do. If there was no follow-up conversation and the follow the the whole conversation literally was your grades are too low, you'll never get into med school, then yes, that is a bad pre-health advisor. Mm -hmm. Or at least bad advice from that pre-health advisor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> potentially a bad, potentially a bad moment from a not bad person. Yes. But yeah. Um too low is a reality. Um we we tell people that this isn't their year to apply, you know, multiple times a year. Um, ultimately, it's your choice. You can do what you want, but you can look at um, you can you can do the research. You can look at the the statistics, and even though statistics aren't all of it, in general, you need to have um, strong grades and a strong MCAT score before you apply. Strong doesn't have to mean three point nine, but yep. med schools 
are required to bring in medical students who will survive and pass medical school and ideally thrive. Med school admissions committees get in trouble if they take a bunch of chances on students who then fail out. So all of the all of this talk around grades, it's not some random test just to make life hard. I know sometimes it feels that way, especially in OCHEM 2, um, or even OCHEM 1. But um, it's, it's about proving that you can handle the academic rigor of med school. You know, I mean, Ryan, you've said before, biochemistry is 15 weeks in undergrad and about two weeks in med school. Um, it's just going to get harder and harder. So what we're looking for is not to tell you you can't do it, but for evidence that you can get better at doing it before you go drop $200,000 on med school. Yeah. Yes. And on that note, we will end. And I just wanted to, to make a quick plug. If you are applying this cycle and you're thinking about one-on-one -on -one advising with one of the marvelous mapped advisors, uh, we're closing the doors 325 because that's when we feel it's like uh, for the investment of advising uh, any later, you're probably not going to get as much out of it because it's just too close to application submissions. So if you've been thinking about it, um, go check it out at mapped.com. You can schedule a consultation call right there as well. Mm -hmm. So thank you all for hanging out. Verinia, Rachel, thanks for thank joining you. myself. We missed Dr. Wright mm -hmm. immensely, and he will be back next week. And I will be out next week for <laughs> spring break with it's my kiddos. It's spring break season, friends. <laughs> it is, it is. Um, but we will see you next time. Thanks for joining Bye. us. Bye. Right, take care. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.